with every step forward that we want to take with COVID-19, somehow the headlines want to send us two steps back. We start to open and they talk about new hotspots across the country. We need to get kids back to school. We need to get businesses open. And yet the headlines want to frighten us and talk about how many new cases there are. But the stats tell the truth. New cases, yes. Hospitalizations down. Deaths, mortality rate way down. Doctors are learning so much and have learned so much in the last six months. What do you need to know now about where we are with COVID-19? I'm Sarah Heiner, and I've got Dr. Joseph Feuerstein, who was with Ground Zero in Connecticut when all this started to talk about it. I'm Sarah Heiner. This is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, rate and review us and tell your friends about it. Hey there, Facebook. I'm sorry I'm late. You know, sometimes technology, as we are all on these computers, they, it is slow. It's slow right now for me. I'm talking to you and I can't see my screen, but I'm glad that you're here. So welcome. I'm Sarah Heiner. If anybody hasn't seen me in a while, um, I'm looking for my screen. Hold up. Where am I? There we all are. Okay, cool. Um, so hi, welcome. Welcome to a Bottom Line Advocator podcast. We have got Dr. Joe Feuerstein back with me today. We're going to talk about COVID and the latest on COVID. We have about a half hour with him between his in the middle of his crazy schedule. So let me just remind you, we do have a growing number of videos in our library on Facebook, also on our YouTube site, Bottom Line Inc. is the YouTube channel. So go there, share them. We've got some with Joe. We've got some with all sorts of other experts about COVID and about all sorts of other ways for you to stay healthy and strong and powerful in this crazy, crazy world. Um, so yeah, so let me welcome Dr. Joseph Feuerstein. Um, he is an amazing guy. He's the associate professor. I have to read his bullet points, so I'm always sure that I get all the details. Um, <laughs> I want to get it all right. Um, so we've got, he's the associate professor of clinical medicine at Columbia University in New York, and he's the director of integrative medicine at Stanford Hospital in Connecticut, which was kind of one of the ground zeros for COVID in this country. He was actively involved, buried up to his eyeballs in the ICU, helping people out during that very early time. Um, he is a COVID-19 patient. He was a patient. He is a survivor. I'm a winner. Um, huh? I'm a winner. You are a winner. Yeah. And in fact, you took hydroxychloroquine, which we're not going to discuss today, but you did live to tell the tale. I did both of them. <laughs> yes. And right, so you'd love to tell the tale. So another day, but anyone, anyone's got questions. Um, let me just tell anyone, usually I invite questions um, during this, but because we only have a little bit of time with Joe, I'm going to ask you, put questions up there, and then Joe and I will answer them later on after the fact, if you have questions about the numbers, about the treatments, about the risk factors. We're going to go quickly through it all, but put some questions up into the chat and we will answer them after the fact. All right, my friend, it's so great to see you. Do you too. Always a pleasure, Sarah. Always a pleasure. Um, and let's see, State of the Union, all right, because the numbers were going down, then we have all these second spikes and it's been waving across the country. So give me kind of the State of the Union as the headlines will not let any of us have peace and the schools okay. started to reopen. So worldwide, we're approximately 28 million cases and getting close to a million deaths. We're 908,000 deaths. This is as of today. Um, USA, which obviously was the uh, one of the big epicenters, we're still number one and not for what we want to be, but we're number one uh, right now at 6.3, almost 6.4 million cases, and we're at about 191,000 deaths. Um, now, Connecticut's doing rather well. There was a little bit of a spike uh, in the last couple of days. Our percentage for a while in terms of testing 
was less than 1%, but I understand that in the last couple of days, we're up to 1.5%. To remind everybody, a red state, a red alert, which is bad, is where we test um, people and 5% of the people, of all the people we test with the nasal swab, not the blood test, the nasal test or the saliva test, but uh, uh, if it's over than 5%, that's high. And that means that every 20 people we test, one of them has corona, that's gonna be a, a high. And that would, I'm sure, make the governor start to clamp down more. But we're still very low, we're 1%, and just, I think we spiked a little to 1.5. Well, I was just looking at the national stats and mm. the curve, so I'll draw a picture. So the curve we had, we grew up, we went up, 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 up in, mm -hmm. in April, right? And then it came down and then there was this other little spike, mm -hmm. but nationally it's going down again. Mm -hmm. That's cases, right? So we, there was the talk about these increased cases in the Midwest. We went, you know, the Northeast got it first. Yeah. And then yeah. it went to Texas, California, Arizona, Florida. And now it's in the Midwest. And those are all now going down. Mm -hmm. And then it popped up in North Dakota and it popped yep. up in Indiana and some of those things. So, but you know, I'm looking at the stats on North Dakota today how to lie with statistics, right? So it's got the, ch the graph, the top bar is six people and it's right. going up like this, right? right. So right. we need to understand what those numbers are. Now, in the midst of that graph that shows that this case rate is going down nationally, yeah. Yeah. the death rate is, <laughs> here's a funny pun, it's flatlining. Yes, exactly. exactly. The death rate has mm -hmm. not gone up at the same right. time. That's so right. thinking about the the original premise is, when are we got you know, is the goal get rid of this germ or how to manage it better and how to flatten that curve so that the healthcare system can handle it so, so put yeah. those numbers in perspective because again every day we're hearing headlines the schools are opening up there's yes. cases that are up which of course is going to happen you had a video about a study where school children if they stayed home the cases were down yes of course if we all stay in caves yeah. nobody will ever get anything that's right. So we need help me with perspective on that, please. So I mean, what what I'm going to say is that uh, generally we have a much much. This is I think this is rather good news. We have a much better protocol as to what works and what doesn't work. So what I'll be very honest when we first. Uh, started seeing COVID and we were the Northeast and Stanford was an epicenter because it's so close to New York. Right. And I was seeing it in, in, in Stanford and in Greenwich as well, uh, working in the intensive unit, care unit and in the emergency room. In the beginning, honestly, we were throwing everything that we, and there was no, uh, honestly, depending upon which doctor you were working with, it was their recommendations. Now we have standardization. So we know what to do. We know what works. When you come in to the hospital, if you are hospitalized, which means that your oxygen level is low, which means you need to get supplemental oxygen and you're in worst case, if you have mild disease, you should definitely go home. If you don't have mild disease and you're in bad shape, then you go on remdesivir and you go on de dexamethasone because we have studies. We know it reduces duration of uh, disease. We know it helps with mortality. So that's kind of where we go. Those are what we use. And there's Joe, you froze. Joe? Also can use Wait, that again. No, repeat yourself because you froze for a minute. I'm sorry. Yeah, so. We know we had mortality when dexamethasone and remdesivir was reducing right. uh, time and, and duration so, of time duration, in, the, right. in the ICU. So uh, basically everybody gets remdesivir, everybody gets uh, dexamethasone. That's it, that's, you know, that's what, you can come in and, and, and you can order it because that's what you're gonna get. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, depending upon where you, uh, uh, other things, you'll uh, if you qualify, uh, it depends on, 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 on other 
um, comorbid conditions, you may get tocilizumab, which is another medicine that we were using. And then the plasma story is a little bit more complicated because we don't have total clarity on this. Obviously, there's a large, massive study that showed a improvement, mm -hmm. a reduction in mortality. It was not 35% absolute reduction. It was a 35% relative reduction. What that means is that if you go from four to two, the absolute reduction is 2%. You had 4%, now you have 2%. Four, four minus two is two. The relative reduction of going from four to two is a 50% loss. Right. So, so basically that was misspoken by, you know, by, by the FDA, but the bottom line is that it's interesting, but it's not a randomized controlled trial. Why is that, that's, not, that's the way they report things all the time. I have to challenge that. They yeah. are, are always reporting the, the improvement on a percentage basis. If it, if it used to help somebody 50% and now it helps them 70%, they'll say that that's a 40% improvement. There's no question. The drug companies do this all the time. I think that that is not very, um, I think that that, I always have a problem with that when drug companies report it. And it's nothing to do with uh, COVID, just to do with um, generally, drug companies are trying to show a 25% improvement. And then you look at the lab, the numbers and, they, and you know, and it went from four to three. So you're saving an extra life and you're like, okay, fine. So I always find relative reductions, I think that they're a little cheap to me. And I say this to every drug rep when I see them. It depends I know on what, people, your, what your scale is as well. Right, but the, part, the bottom line is that I'm actually interested in the number number. Yes. So if it goes down, the actual number of people. So in other words, there's a statistical thing called the number needed to treat. How many people you need to treat to get that improvement? And if that's a big number, that's not good. And if it's a little number, meaning you only need to do seven people and you're going to save one of them, we're all over that. That's more useful uh, information. I mean, I think that... Oh my God, that but in this case, everyone was freaking because we had a lot of people that we needed to treat and a lot of people that were potentially dying. So Yes, no, and, and the mortality rate, I don't think... I, don't, I think we are better at treating it and we are understanding what's going on and we have protocols, but there's no question about the fact that the curve has gone down not because of the way we're treating it. I don't think that's true. The curve has gone down because of public health. Well, the, but it's also, I mean, these, these rolling waves have occurred. They're not necessarily because of demonstrations. They're not necessarily because of political rallies. They're not necessarily because of parties at the bars. Yes, that, that helps. But the, the, these other waves that have shown up as it rolled to these other places... So it, because, it, it hasn't that, directly been tied. Right, so, I mean, look, the places. point is, it's, it's hard to, to, to do that because right. you're looking for large events. So, for example, there was a big biking uh, 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 thing up in, in, in South Dakota, and I read a study based on, based on telephones right. that they think that that spread to 250,000 people. I don't know whether that's valid, but I read a study on how they think that worked. They I mean, would have the seen that. 250,000 people, they would have seen the spikes so, go right, all across. Saying is this look, um, you're I, I'm actually less interested in the big uh stories of yes, a whole load of people didn't wear masks when they went here or they went there. I'm more interested in are you wearing a mask? Are you socially distancing? Are you being sensible? And it's really at the personal and the community oh. level than anything else because that's actually how this works. So, yes, of course, you might get a spike if 10,000 people march here or march there, and how many of them are wearing masks? I mean, masks honestly are going to do much more than anything else. Masks, social distancing, washing your hands, and being sensible. I mean, much more than anything else. That's why it went down. Because so, we were sensible. 
So we've been sensible, in that, although again, different parts of the country are opening up. But again, to me, the case is it's a reflection of how much testing is going on. There's so many factors that are into it. And that death toll, the death rate to me is critical. And then also, it, it's hard to find the numbers on hospitalizations, but my understanding is that hospitalizations are also down. So while case numbers may be up, and again, trying to give perspective because I've seen some universities opened and then of course they spiked and they right. sent everybody home. Yes. Versus I had spoken to, I think it was David Katz a couple months ago where he talked about, he'd written something about, should we have left the schools open originally? Left kids in the universities, let it go through the school, and they were in an isolated universe. So, so that's an interesting, that's an intriguing idea. I mean, the, the bottom line is that the young people, uh, obviously the concern is that they are the spreaders, young people and kids as well, who are not particularly at risk. And it's really about, it's, it really isn't about them at all in the sense that what it's about is who they're going to go and see. That's what it's really about. And I think the people are most at risk, certainly in Connecticut, are now doing, you know, did a better job of not getting exposed. And I'll tell you how I know this, because when we do antibody testing, unlike New York, where 20% of New Yorkers that they did a sample of have antibodies, meaning they were exposed to corona, our rates here are not more than about 10%. So I rarely have a patient who actually was exposed. And why? Because everybody was sensible. They stayed at home. They let it go. And if you're at higher risk, it's what you need to do. And now... Let me ask you this, though. Yeah. So now our antibodies are, are there are fewer people that have been exposed. The minute you let people back out, yep. there's going to be more exposure. Cases are going to go up. People are going to freak. They're going to want to lock everybody in again. So, so that's the reason why, obviously, it's about opening slowly, which is what the governor's right. trying to do. And then the other thing is that it depends on how you're behaving in terms of, look, if we just all decide, you know something, it's business as usual, forget about social distancing, everybody right. doesn't wear a mask and that's it, you better believe we're going to have a real problem. If we do this correctly, which is what people are trying to do now, and if you see something that's clearly a high-risk behavior, then we... But as long as we do the rest of it, I think actually what we're expecting, and this isn't just me, this is also the, the, uh, the medical centers at Yale, the Yale system um, has this as, as their estimation. They think that what will happen is there'll be a baseline COVID amount of people going, getting COVID, you know, it's be, it'll be swimming around a little bit, but it, we're not going to see a massive spike. Right. They, 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 they estimate that in one of the hospitals, instead of having 120 or 130 people hospitalized at one time, they'll have a COVID unit of 30 or 40. So you can see it's a quarter so it of- It will get through it. So let right. me ask you this. I have a theory. Yeah. I have a question about a theory. Yeah. You know how, you, know how um, you need to exercise your body. Yeah. And you need to exercise your immune system in some ways, right? Right, right. So as the country has been in quarantine and in isolation and not exercising their exposure to all sorts of stuff, not just to COVID, but to- anthrax is in our world, to chickenpox, to all the things that are running around. Have people's immune systems now almost kind of depleted a little bit? And is there a risk as they open up? You know, they're worried about the flu season now. Are people in some ways going to be at a higher risk of getting anything because they've been at home? So there's a very interesting concept, and it's a theory that's been brought up. And, and the answer is yes, I think that that's true, but I think it's true for a different reason. Most, uh, not most, a lot of people that I see have put on weight during COVID because they weren't active. Mm -hmm. Obviously, um, exercise is important for, for normal human health, but they also put on weight. Now, 
The question is, patients who put on weight, patients who are obese, what happens when they get vaccinated? And the answer to the question is that there were some studies. One of them was done on hepatitis B, and it was done in Chapel Hill in, in, in North Carolina. And it was a case report about an obese lady who got a hepatitis B series. That's a, a bloodborne uh, bacteria, uh, viral infection that affects your liver. And every healthcare worker is given a series of three vaccinations. Right. And once you get the three vaccinations, you should be good for years. She was good for exactly 11 months, and then she no longer had the vaccine. She never had immunity, and she lost it. This, and so the same thing is that they found that flu, if you were obese, your risk of getting the flu, even if you were vaccinated, was still two times as high as, as, as non-obese people, as people who are normal weight. The answer is that we think there's a thing called immunometabolism. In other words, the obese population have an underlying inflammatory state in their body, inflammation, Mm -hmm. And that is probably affecting negatively their immune system. And so it will not surprise me that that will impact on now people have put on weight. This is their moment to get off our weight because we know the risk factors for uh, COVID were obesity, diabetes, hypertension, age, and, um, and unfortunately being in, in minorities. So this is not your moment to have uncontrolled diabetes. This is your moment to try and get your diabetes under control because your life is going to depend on that. Um so two questions. One is real quick. Minorities, I think that the connection with there was a higher incidence among blacks and Hispanics, but part of that, didn't that, that ring back to diabetes and other health issues? So definitely, ethnic minorities, absolutely. They right. have so it, wasn't a, it wasn't a race thing per se, it just was the, the physicality of the, the uh, high incidence of physicality within Well, that. you also have to ask yourself a more, a more, more general question, which is uh, um, uh, why in general is there a high population, a percentage of hypertension in Haitians or Hispanic, and that's a bigger thing. That's a huge conversation. Right, that we're not going to get into, but yes, that, those were risk factors. I just so, want to clarify that it wasn't... I, I, and the reason issue, it was a, who should we vaccinate? Right. Like when we get this vaccine, if it works and doesn't cause any problems, right. who should we vaccinate? And the answer is, it's those people. It's those yeah. people first. It's not, it's not my kid. It's right. not my 18 year old kid. Right. No, he can wait. Right. High risk people, the people right. who are going to have a bad outcome if they get corona. I want to go to the vaccine in a, in a minute. Let's yeah. stick on, on the weight gain for a second. I want to talk about prevention for a second and other risk factors. Um, obese is these people with it morbidly obese, although obese technically is not as big as you think. We're not talking about my 500 pound life. And right. most people, they talk about the COVID-19, right? So they've gained, I'll call it five to 15 pounds or so. So you, your BMI is going to go from one entire category. So the BMI is the body mass index and yeah. anything between 20, 25 is normal. And anything over 25 to 30 is uh, overweight and above 30 is obese. If you change 15 or 20 pounds, depending upon your actual body weight, but most people, you can get yourself nearly into a new category. So we need to get those 15 pounds off, which means you need to be moving again. We need to be working on focusing on, on, on nutrition. There's no question. Everyone's wearing masks. My gym is open and my gym has a, you, you exercise in a mask. By the way, that's a big challenge. If you want to really work out hard, just exercise in a mask. It really is hard. You need but a bicycle in your basement, my friend. Exactly right. No, and, and that's it. But when you wear a mask, you're like, okay, wait a second. Wow, I'm really going for it. And that's it's okay. Yeah. That's okay. It should be hard. Well, and I know also, even though, I mean, they talk about reduction in um, diabetes symptoms, blood sugar, and blood pressure. 
even if you lose 10 pounds, it can make a big difference. So oh, we see that clinically all the time. Right. People, so goes you know, both I, ways, right. I say to patients, I can get your sugars down by hundreds of points uh, in a, a number of weeks. You're not going to use 50 pounds. You don't need to. You right. do need to, but you don't need to do that for that to happen. It so, drops very quickly. Right. So, so this extra weight, even if it's not 50 pounds, but if it's some it's a it's an increased risk factor potentially. It's really not something you want to be carrying, and it, and it's all part of of, of the of the healthy person. How you go into Corona, I said this uh, last time, is how you come out. If you're in good shape, you have a better odds. If you started off not in good shape, then it's it, it could go badly for you. Although we have a better plan now. So there's there's another interesting risk factor. You you did a little video about this, and we I've read about it. We've reported on it as well is um, proton pump inhibitors. That's right. The acid suppressing medications, not all, not like, you know, taking Tums, but no, this was proton pump inhibitors. So basically, American Journal of Increase in risk. Yeah, so basically, Cetocyanin, American Journal of Gastroenterology, 53,000 people in LA, and they do a telephone, and they ask you how many of them have COVID, and they ask them how many of them are taking the proton pump inhibitors. And, and those include, that's, Give us some of the brands. Brevisted, Protonics, Nexium, uh, Prilosec. They all they work work on on, on reducing acid. The, one, the ones that have the commercials that say, "Take one pill a day and you'll be right. able to eat your meatballs." And it'll all be great. And their risk of and their risk of uh, contracting COVID, contracting COVID was tripled, tripled, tripled. Right. Well, and those things are ter terribly dangerous anyway. Increased risk of pneumonia, hip fractures, jaw right. disorders, all sorts of stuff. About so that. I do want to say that. In the short term, if you have bleeding or you have bad ulcers or you have to be on something because you need to be on it, you're on a medicine. My issue is not in the short term. My issue is I'm going to continue writing a script and you're going to be on it for the rest of your life. That needs to be discussed because that's probably not one of the drugs you want to be doing. Or if you need to be on it, what's the lowest dose you can get away with? Can you use natural things to help to get on the lowest dose? I think the reason that this is happening is because the total lack of acid, I'm sure, is completely, completely disrupting the normal microbiome, the gut flora. Because now, look, remember, the acid comes out into the small intestine and is, and is, um, and is uh, neutralized by the bile and then it goes and the, and, and, it start, and the bacteria get, you know, exposed to this kind of neutral substance. Now you have all this bio without any acid. It's going to start to muck things around. Well, the job, half the job of the stomach acid is to kill. There's germs on our hands, as we all know. There's germs on surfaces. You eat something, it gets ingested. That's, that acid kills some of those germs. That's part we of that the acid. If not, we wouldn't have a vat of acid in our stomach. Yes. Again. If you need to be on it because you just had bleeding, you need to take the medicine. The medicine's awesome. I'm not having a problem with that. It's the people who are on it for 15 years. Let me clarify you that study. Were there people, was it just casual use of these or were these people that were taking it? No, I know that taking every day. that drug is only, you're only supposed to take it for no more than two weeks at a time. No, no, no. People, a lot of people take it chronically all the time. Right. Uh, and if you were taking it once a day, your risk of, of contracting COVID was 2.2 times higher. And if, and I don't mean relative risk, I don't, I mean 2.2 times higher. And right. if you were taking it twice a day, which some people take, it was three times higher. This is just a cautionary tale to right. be aware of. So again, and it, I, I can't say this enough that, you know, everybody's talking about where's the vaccine. We're going to talk about the vaccine in just one moment in the four minutes we have left. Um, but if they talk about, they're talking about masks, you're talking about social distancing. There's so many things you can do again, like weight loss, like watch your, you know, if you're taking PPIs, watch that, get your sleep, all these things that we can do to strengthen ourselves. That's our social responsibility as well. 
Agreed. Chance of contracting it. Agreed. Just two things that I think are very interesting, which I've spoken about before. One is that uh, there seems to be a link between, uh, this was the New England Journal of Medicine, between um, your blood type and your risk of bad corona. And so it turns out if you're an A person, which might be good for high school, you are actually a 45% increased risk, increased risk, no, no, increased risk of bad corona. Whereas I know, the only home, A plus I ever got in my life. Exactly, A plus you got was your blood type, and unfortunately it's not good for corona, and O was better. And then the other one, which was a fascinating study, I think, which was basically Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, and that was looking at why Eastern Europe, you asked me who did well, Eastern Europe did much better than we did, and they have a theory that Eastern Europeans, most of Ukraine, get a BCG, which is a, yeah. a, a shot that they got uh, to try and not get tuberculosis, which doesn't work, by the way, you can still get TB, but that might stimulate your immune system, and it's just a little bit better at reacting to viral things, because Ukraine had 10 times less deaths than Italy. But we get TB vaccines here, it's just a different one. I know, I, I, no, no, I mean, the BCG is an old, old school one. No, I know. So the, the, I'm saying yeah. it's funny that the, the TB vaccine that we get here is not effective, but there's something about this BCG. Right. Apparently used in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Let's talk, right. let's talk vaccinations. Very briefly. Okay. So everybody's wishing, hoping, and praying. And then yeah. there's the crew that says, but it's not going to be safe because they're rushing it. And then AstraZeneca paused their test because yeah. of this one, um, one. one dangerous one. You know, yeah. adverse yeah. effect. Yeah. With adverse effects, that's the whole point of the testing. That's exactly so, it. You go right. from a couple of, you go from right. 20, to 100, 20 to 100 in phase one to a couple of hundred in phase two to thousands in phase three. Right. I want 30,000 people to be right. taking this before we do it. But when it's ready, um, and look, I've got to tell you that coronaviruses have been around and, va and vaccinations, because it's a type of cold virus, so have been around for, for, for they've been doing research on this for, for 10, 15 years. Right. I, I think that we're going to find the vaccines will be relatively safe. I do. Um, and if they are marginally, to, you know, if they are effective, then that's great. I mean, I'm all over that because I think we're trying to hit the people with the biggest risk mm -hmm. and trying to get some herd immunity. I mean, that's the whole concept here. Um, I don't know. We won't know until we get the results. You know, um, I do like the fact they're just trying to do it rather than the Russians who do see, who give it to five people and then say, oh, I've got a vaccine for you. I, mean, I'm, I am always, uh, you know, never want to be first online for those things because they do. It takes a lot of testing and a lot of time. And sometimes it takes time in the mass population, even though they grow to, to larger groups of testers, that it takes time in mass population to find these pockets of adverse effects. So I'm totally always very conservative about it. And I think to AstraZeneca's credit, even though it's only one of one person at this moment in time, given the rapid timetable and the pressure yes. to perform, it's far better for them to, to take their, their time and be serious. Be careful. No question. By the way, there's a Reuters uh, article, and I saw this again talked about uh, in one of the Connecticut uh, um, journals, uh, that they think about 20, 25% of the population are not going to want to take a vaccination. So we'll have to see, uh, you know, I mean, and, and I don't know whether the whole world needs to be vaccinated. I don't know. I'm not a public health doctor. I know that high-risk people, this will be your moment. Right. Got it. Um, real quickly, do I have about 30 seconds left? Yeah. Um, the te tests have been erratic. There were the NFL players that got tests yeah. and they were false positives. Yeah. So how confident can people be in the testing at this moment in time? So I'm going to tell you one very, very, very interesting thing that just came out. And it's a, it's a nutmeg, so we should be proud of this. Yale University uh, uh, wrote a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine uh, about their testing 
which was actually quite, quite accurate. In fact, potentially more accurate than the nasal swab, and it was using saliva. Yes. And what they did is they took, you know, they, they did this on, uh, so I, I also work in, in, in that system, and so uh, they are testing the general, not the, pop, not the general public, but the, the employee population, and they tested 475 people, and then I think, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it's something like 13 of them tested positive according to the saliva, that eventually when they did the, the next couple of nose tests, because in the beginning, if you do the nose test early, you miss it, you miss the fun, then uh, it actually turned out that they were more, it was a little bit more accurate. So I'm very interested to see how the saliva thing goes, because having had a number of times this thing stuck <laughs> in my nose so far that I thought my brain was going to be, uh, was going to be biopsied, I would much rather spit in the tube. No kidding. Well, and again, that does, that's testing for the presence of the virus, not necessarily that you have an active infection, but it at least means that, that is right. That's true. But I mean, you're going to be doing that for people who have symptoms. Yes. Uh, and also as population, you know, to see uh, how much of the population has it or doesn't have it, you know. Right. So uh, okay. Connecticut's doing well. We should be proud. Connecticut's doing amazingly well. I, I have to say. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Pardon? Wear your masks, wash your, wash your hands, don't yeah. lick people. <laughs> but if you're alone in the park, it's okay to not have your mask on. That's all, all true. And, it's, and if you want to lick yourself, that's your business. <laughs> Whatever you're into. Hey, uh, any party shots. And again, let me remind everybody, if you have any questions, we Joe and I rattled a lot of stuff off right here so that if you have questions, post them on in the chat. And I'll, he's very fast on his email to me. So, you know, we'll, we'll get some answers out there for you. Any parting shots before I let you go? And thank you for your time. Yeah, no, I, it's really a pleasure. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I, think, uh, I, I, think that, I think we're going to win this. I really, 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 really do. It's going to be humanity one, coronavirus zero. But we should also have respect for the fact that, uh, you know, that nature, uh, nature's, uh, nature's powerful. Sometimes it just likes to challenge us. Um, what's your Facebook channel so people can see your own, your uh, Facebook. Uh, so the, the easiest way is, is, um, it's Dr. Joe, J-O-E Feuerstein. Um, but I think that actually you should just go to drfeuerstein.com is my, is my, is my website and it has all my videos. Okay. Watch Dr. Alrighty. Joe, thank you so much. You're awesome. All right, everybody. Next week I am back. We're going to be talking about, we're we talking next week. Oh, patient advocacy with an amazing woman, Amy Dixon. Um, so post your questions, post your comments, and come on back. Thanks so much. Thanks, Joe. See you, Susan. Bye. Bye. I'm talking to Dr. Joseph Feuerstein, Director of Integrative Medicine at Stanford Hospital in Connecticut, about the latest news on COVID-19 and what you need to know about recent increases in cases. Getting information readers can trust from the world's top insiders is core to how our flagship publication, Bottomline Personal, helps people do better and feel better. Dr. Feuerstein is one of thousands of top experts who have appeared in Bottomline Personal, not just in healthcare, but in all aspects of life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships and so much more. Bottomline Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottomline's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.